Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. It's johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute, and we'll continue our discussion on the war of drugs on drugs and drug legalization. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And we'll also visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. It is October the 14th, and on this day in 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis began on October the 14th, 1962, bringing the United States and the Soviet Union to the brink of nuclear conflict. Photographs taken by a high-altitude U-2 spy plane offered incontrovertible evidence that the Soviet-made medium-range missiles in Cuba, capable of carrying nuclear warheads, were now stationed 90 miles off the American coastline. Tensions, who could forget the tensions? Tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union were high, and uh, over the Cuba had been steadily increasing since the uh, failed April 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion, in which Cuban refugees, armed and trained by the United States, landed in Cuba and attempted to overthrow the government of Fidel Castro. Though the invasion did not succeed, Castro was convinced that the United States would try, to, try it again and set out to get more military assistance from the Soviet Union. During the next year, the number of Soviet advisors in Cuba rose to more than 20,000. Rumors began that Russia was also moving missiles and strategic bombers over to the island. Russia leader Nikita Khrushchev, remember, banging the uh, shoe on the table, may have decided to, to dramatically up the uh, stakes in the Cold War for several reasons. He may have believed the United States was indeed going to invade Cuba and provide the weapons as a deterrent. Facing criticism at home from more hardline members of the Soviet communist hierarchy, he may have thought a tough stand might win him support. Khrushchev also had always resented the U.S. nuclear missiles were stationed near the Soviet Union, for example in Turkey, and putting missiles in Cuba might have been his way of redressing the imbalance. Two days after the pictures were taken, after being developed and analyzed by intelligence officers, they were presented to the President uh, of the United States, President Kennedy. During the next two weeks, the United States and the Soviet Union would come as close to nuclear war as they ever had, and a fearful world awaited the outcome. Never forget the tensions of those times. Uh, scary times indeed. Ironically, the Cold War was a time of some major peace around the world. Well, the Florida Department of Health has reported two additional deaths and 68 new cases of COVID-19 in Collier County on Tuesday. Very little other information was given on the Naples Daily News. We do know that. Also, uh, apparently we're seeing a spread, increase in the spread of cases around the world. Over 700,000 cases reported, I guess, uh, yesterday around the world. So the numbers are going up. Don't know if this means it's a second wave. But a new analysis of Gallup data out last week showed a stark partisan contrast in how the public perceives the coronavirus threat to their personal health. According to the data from the Gallup panel, conducting research on public opinion throughout the coronavirus pandemic, Republicans were far less terrified of the novel Chinese virus than Democrats. 70% of Democrat, Democratic men and 80% of women were worried about getting the coronavirus while only 20% of Republican men and 29% of Republican women reported the same. Those concerns, the data show, has translated into impacting their behavior. 70% of Democrat men and 73% of Democrat women reported avoiding public places over fear of the virus, and only 31% of Republican men and 38% of women uh, and Republicans uh, did the same. Now, uh, I speculate that uh, this has something to do with the news media, those people that are watching uh, more balanced approaches to the news are less fearful than those that are really selling the pandemic of fear, like uh, CNN and the like. In any event, uh, Republicans are just less fearful of the virus. 
local news, a, lo- a proposed golf course and entertainment venue, part of an effort by the Cuyahoga County to redevelop a county-owned golf course in Golden Gate, has it a rough patch. Commissioners last year bought a 167-acre golf course in the intersection of Collier Boulevard and Golden Gate Parkway for 29 million buckaroos. Plans for the site include workforce housing and golf. A future veterans nursing home has also been discussed as a possibility. But the commissioners on Tuesday put off a scheduled discussion about the property after a vendor, the major vendor, who agreed to build a golf course and entertainment venue there, asked the county to contribute, well, another $7 million towards the project. Whoops! <laughs> That's, that wasn't in the, in the plan. So they're going to reconnoiter and figure out what to do about all this. Well, Donald Trump is back on the president, is back on the road doing, he was in uh, Sanford, Florida, and uh, the statistics from Sanford were 15,852 voters identified. 31.8% were not Republicans. <laughs> were not Republicans. 16.3% were Democrat. Uh, 24.4% did not vote in 2016. And get this, almost 15% did not vote in the last four presidential elections. So these are amazing statistics because what this proves is that the likely voters, these aren't likely voters at all, these people, especially those that haven't voted in past elections. President Trump told a rally uh, yesterday in a battleground state of Pennsylvania that Democrat nominee Joe Biden would destroy the state's economy. He was at the Johnstown Airport. He warned about the alleged impact of Democrats' energy agenda, and he credited his agenda with protecting steel and coal, both of which has historically contributed to the state's economy. He also focused on fracking by highlighting that Biden and his running mate their position on the issue. If he wins, the radical left will be running the country. He won't be running the country. The radical left will be taking over. And how about Pennsylvania? So he says that there'll be no fracking, no fracking. Well, he went on for a year and a half, no fracking, no fracking, no fracking. You're talking about a politician. No fracking for a year and half, right? And then he goes to Pennsylvania and says, no, no, there'll be fracking. (laughs) So President Trump is back on on the trail and uh, it was pretty exciting results. Again, 14,000 folks signed up for the uh, rally were there, and uh, 28.6 were not Republicans, again, in Pennsylvania. 19.9% were Democrats. 22% did not vote in six, 2016, and again, a whopping 15% didn't vote in the last four elections. So I, what this is insinuating or indicating to me is that we're going to see l- unlikely voters coming out and voting for President Donald Trump. If you really think about it, President Trump was never the cause of a conservative populist coalition that put him in office. He was the result of it. After decades of voter dissatisfaction with both political parties, institutions, and government and culture, they voted themselves for themselves and their communities over both parties' establishments. It wasn't about voting for Trump. A lot of very smart people kept missing that very critical nuance. If Trump's opponents or those who cover for him spent any time listening to voters and not making fun of them, categorizing them as a cult, racist, stupid, or whatever word of the day they're using to describe them, they would understand that. The polls show a big lead for Biden, yet the media is full-throttled screech mode. Charlie Hurt, he's a good guy of the Washington Times, is puzzled by all this. After summarizing the polls and other metrics that indicate Biden enjoys an overwhelming lead, Hurt asked on Thursday, if all this is true and Democrats have the election so deep in the bag, why are they so terrified? Why, if this is such a a done deal, are Democrats desperate right now? It was a profound mystery, although we can understand why people who have spent too much time inside the media echo chamber would have behaved irrationally, immersing yourself in politics 24-7, your emotions whiplashed by every poll, every press conference, every headline, every tweet. It's not a coincidence to good mental health. The only way to stay sane is to ignore the polls, turn off the cable news, find a good book to read, and hope for the best. Or, as I've advised my Republican friends worried about the polls, keep calm and just vote for Trump. That's the best solution. Well, Amy Coney Barrett did nothing yesterday to diminish her chances of becoming President Trump's third Supreme Court justice. Her detractors may have seen her as evasive or supporters as appropriately cautious, but she's following a path along blazed by many others named to the high court. In her calm and careful, controlled appearance, 
Uh, she allowed herself only a hint of emotion. It not merely a hint because she testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee in a flat Midwestern cadence, wrapping her answers in gauzy tissue of court precedents and judicial process. So uh, I thought it was just such an impressive performance on her part. I will note that <laughs> Maisie Hirono just hit a new low. Her IQ, even in a body of dim bulbs, the negligible current flowing through her filament is just so notable. She actually started asking Coney Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett, about whether she had ever sexually aggress was aggressive or sexually aggressive or raped someone. Can you believe that? <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyhow, uh, since uh, everybody pretty much has their opinion made up, it's most of the senators spent their time just pointing out their own points of view and posturing and preening for the public. They weren't really, uh, they weren't really asking her too many questions. It was so ironic and so interesting. They're all digging in in their own point of view, and uh, hopefully that when this all, when they have their time to do that, they'll come to a vote and vote her in as the next Supreme Court justice. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building and planning on building a brand-new performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be terrific. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he's a constitutional scholar. He's an author, and he's the chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, Securing Individual Rights, and Limited Government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. So, Bob, I'd like to uh, pick up with the conversation we're having on the war, drugs, or drug legalization. 
Now, what did Prohibition tell us about today's drug war? Well, we had the 18th Amendment. That was from 1919 to uh, the 21st Amendment in 1933. So we had 14 years of that. And it didn't stop drinking. Uh, and it did increase violent crime. The cost, by the way, was estimated at about $500 million a year in roughly current dollars. By comparison, the cost of today's drug war, just by the feds alone, is something on the order of $8 billion hmm. a year. And since uh, the last 20 years or so, we've had more drug inmates than all violent crimes uh, combined. They're about 50% of the federal prison population and 50% of the property crime in uh, most major cities. And because drugs are illegal, the participants in the drug trade can't go to court to settle their disputes, um, either between buyer and seller or between rival sellers. So what do they do? They resolve the disputes by force. And it means crime and terrorism end up uh, earning a ton of money. About $40 billion is the estimate uh, from the drug trade. And meanwhile, DEA has 10,000 agents and analysts and support staff who could be fighting real crime or, or terrorism. And, and, and by the way, for people favoring gun control, drug legalization would be the single most effective means of reducing inner-city gang-related and drug-related um, violence. You know, addiction, like alcoholism, it should be a medical health problem. And we treat, we don't incarcerate alcoholics. And like alcohol, it should be legal to sell it to adults, not to minors. Um, and, of course, illegal to do bad things when you're under the influence, like driving. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean to make the drugs themselves uh, illegal. Interesting comparison with tobacco, which presumably kills 400,000 people a year, and it's still legal. Yeah. Um, great statistic. I mean, it reminds me of a statistic I heard. I don't know if it's still true, but we have... Uh, uh, I think uh, the world's population, a small percentage of the world's population, but 25% of the incarcerated uh, people in the world, uh, here in the freest nation in the world, which is kind of unbelievable. So I think it's 10%. Right, most of which is drug-related. Most of which is drug-related. So what's the verdict in those states that have legalized uh, marijuana? Um, well, according to a, a report uh, from the ACLU, um, there were recently before legalization, about 900,000 U.S. arrests for marijuana, which is about 300,000 more than there are for all violent crimes combined. Mm. It was one marijuana arrest every 37 seconds. Um, and the, in Florida alone, <clears throat> marijuana enforcement cost about $230 million, 58,000 arrests for possession, that amounted to 92% of all the marijuana arrests were simply for possession of marijuana. Mm. And that was 41% of all the drug arrests. And blacks were four times more likely than whites uh, to be arrested for possession, despite the fact that blacks and whites have comparable usage uh, rates. So we had recent legalization, of course, in Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. That's a, and Alaska, that's of recreational use. And we've seen little or no rise in uh, actual use and possible declines in some of the other drugs like cocaine and, and heroin, and there's been no impact on violent crime. So I'd say the legalization process has produced nothing but positive benefits. So does the opioid crisis prove that the need for strict regulation? You know, the, the opioid crisis, it isn't because it's been played as, as doctors goaded by greedy drug companies overprescribing. But uh, less than a quarter of the people who use opioids for non-medical reasons actually have a prescription. Uh, the rest of them, more than three-quarters, buy them on the, on the black market. And uh, about 13% of overdose victims had chronic pain conditions. And just 1% of chronic pain patients are addicted. So the addicted population has not, uh, has not become addicted because of... Uh, abuse of the prescription uh, process. Uh, prescriptions of high-dose opioids are down about 40% over the last 10 years. 
um, overdoses, of course, continue to climb, but most of that is from heroin and, and fentanyl. And when we pressure doctors to uh, reduce opioid prescriptions, it has unintended consequences. What we do is we drive a lot of patients uh, to the black market mm. uh, where they get these laced opioids and, and heroin that's uh, cheaper and easier uh, to obtain. And um, interestingly, by the way, the opioid crisis is, is less serious in those states that have legalized uh, marijuana. So interesting. So tell us about the connect between drugs and our immigration problem. Well, you know, the cartels hide drugs in cars and trucks and buses and trains and underground tunnels. And if you're looking for a remedy uh, for that problem, it would be drug legalization. Uh, it would reduce the enormous profit incentive that drives uh, the cartels. Uh, instead of the cartels distributing drugs, we might have, you know, Pfizer, some of the big uh, drug companies. Um, as a bonus, uh, we'd be addressing this lawlessness that propels uh, the asylum seekers that are coming across the border from Central America, because a lot of them are seeking to evade this drug-related violence uh, on the streets of El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras. So, so the, the immigration system is broken, mm-hmm. and um, the war on drugs is a good part of that. And it's been an unmitigated disaster. It seems to me that legalization of drugs should be a no-brainer. Not only is it the moral thing to do, but it would have a salutary effect on gun control and also on our immigration, particularly our asylum-seeking uh, crisis. Yeah. You know, Bob, you've made such an outstanding case uh, for legalization of drugs. I mean, the, the, the cost is enormous to us right now. Uh, we're seeing all the problems associated with it. You've, we definitely can look back on prohibition and learn a lesson there. What's getting in the way of, a, of uh, doing the right thing here? Well, <laughs> politics <laughs> is still a large Sorry, portion Bob, of the country. Sorry, Bob. I had to ask. <laughs> Yeah, there's still a large portion of the country that uh, either buys into uh, making everything that they consider immoral illegal and having the state intervene instead of having people on their own volition monitor their moral activities uh, and not recognizing that what we really need to be concerned about in terms of the criminal law in this country is people that violate the rights of other people, not victimless crimes. And so we have illegalization of of relatively harmless drugs like marijuana, and we have illegalization of other uh, victimless crime, in some cases gambling, in some cases uh, prostitution. Yeah. And I think uh, this really does um, occupy our legal system, clutter the courts, clutter the jails, uh, cost a ton of money, and has uh, counterproductive effects. Yeah, and I'm not sure we talked about this in the last few sessions, but also the fact that we don't, we're not monitoring how this stuff has grown. We don't know what pesticides are being used, and people could be poisoned by it, for, for crying out loud. So, you know, there should be some level of, of uh, concern about uh, what we're, uh, what people are using out there as, as an additional concern, Bob. Uh, you know, this Absolutely. Is- if you were to buy, buy uh, adulterated drugs from a U.S. Uh, pharmaceutical company, um, um, first of all, that pharmaceutical company would be highly regulated, and second of all, you'd always have the tort remedy where you could sue for damages. Uh, you try suing the cartel, see what that's going to get you. Yeah. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I'd encourage you to ver- visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. Coming up, uh, Andy Joppa. And Andrew Joppa is a professor. He's an author of Josephus of Oz. Uh, we're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's also an author. His book, Josepha Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. I love your commentary, Andy, and uh, your latest column is Keeping Our Eye on the Prize. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, uh, let me just start there, as, uh, as long as you're bringing it up, Bob, and I encourage you to do that, obviously. Um, the, uh, the prize, obviously, is the election of President Donald Trump. It's uh, the most significant uh, election, the most specific um, point of an election that we've ever had, I, I believe, and perhaps other than the 1864 election of uh, re-election of Abraham Lincoln, which was also a, a big surprise when that came to pass. Uh, I bring it up right now, Bob, because in 2016, it was the plurality in southwest Florida, primarily Collier and Lee County, obviously, uh, that plurality won Florida for Donald Trump. Right. And it was obviously the win of Florida that carried the national election. Ultimately, um, I'm presuming there will be a similar scenario uh, in 2020. Um, and so the, the, the weight, the, the, the factor of the voting weight in southwest Florida is more significant in my estimation Bob, than any place else in the country. So, uh, you know, I'm a Trump supporter, obviously. I never hide that. Uh, and I encourage everyone else of a like mind to make sure they vote in this election because their vote carries more weight than anyone else's in this country, Bob. You know, let me just uh, pile on here a little bit, because if you take a look at the election results in 2016, I think Trump did win by about 50 or 60,000 votes in Florida. The difference, and, and the difference, quite frankly, was the difference right here in Collier and Lee counties. That was the entire difference. Otherwise, it would have been a draw. Uh, there's there's no doubt about it. I believe Trump would have lost the election in uh, Florida, at least in 2016, or perhaps the national election as a result. Right. Uh, so here in this uh, in this uh, obviously a strong conservative area, um, it is our plurality, our difference in support of President Trump that will probably carry Florida if he wins Florida. Uh, great point. And, it, uh, you know, it, if you're living in Connecticut, it really doesn't matter whether you vote. <laughs> Because the state's going to end up going blue. But here in Florida, it does make a big difference. So, again, uh, get vote. Definitely vote uh, and uh, for President Donald Trump. So uh, 
you know, let's move on and talk a little about the, uh, the, the I'm sure you watched uh, the hearings of uh, Amy Cone, Coney Barrett. Uh, any thoughts? Well, I watched as much as I could, and then unfortunately, my uh, my television went down, so I have to complain, and I am complaining to Xfinity, but nevertheless, I did manage to catch most of it and uh, caught up with it uh, after that. You know, the obvious statement, Bob, is this is this is an outstanding woman by every measurement, by uh, by uh, accomplishment, academic accomplishment, by her uh, her uh, uh, history as a jurist. Uh, by her personal life story, just just an incredible woman. Um, I thought it was uh, strangely revealing, I would say, that CNN actually had three of their commentators actually praising Amy Coney Barrett, which yeah. uh, I, I'm not sure what that implies or uh, where that would come from. It just came out of nowhere. I was uh, surprised to to see that so uh, that was good news i would add in the same in the same tone the new york times also had a, uh, an article yesterday or monday i guess suggesting that that covid 19 is coming to an end so uh, perhaps the the left is uh, seen they've overplayed their hand of fear and gloom and doom and maybe they're withdrawing all of that uh, however well let me, let, me just Democrat, talk, let me just pile on here and i don't know if you also saw but wolf blitzer was really pressing nancy pelosi on the on the next tranche of money coming into the stimulus package and, <laughs> and it yeah, got to there, the point there, there's something happening there with yeah. the with the the, the the themes being offered by the typically left democrat commentators right Something is going on. You're quite right about that. That's an interesting observation. But, you know, uh, my thought is that most of these people already made up their minds on the subcommittee, obviously. So they're either posturing and preening for their own constituency and uh, trying to make impressive statements. But they asked very few questions of her. I mean, it, it was, quite frankly, I think a waste of time, a waste of her time. Well, I mean, obviously, the uh, the hearings are giving the Democrats a platform to really uh, promote, in my estimation, the Biden candidacy more than anything else. Uh, although there is a, a, a sinister potential here, Bob, that I'd like to make note of. Maisie uh, uh-huh. Hirano uh, uh, asked of, um, of uh, Barrett uh, whether she has ever asked for sexual favors or uh, been involved with physical harassment of a, of a, of a sexual nature. And Cory Booker asked if, if she condemns white supremacy. So um, I certainly can't predict this, but I would think perhaps tomorrow uh, there may be a surprise witness that shows up that indicates someplace in Barrett's past she had done something to harass a, a male <laughs> student or make him uncomfortable in a classroom or, or some other variation of this. And yeah. The intent being to slow down the hearing and, and push it beyond the, the election. I think that would be their intent. Uh, but their questioning of her has been uh, uh, vile, uh, directly, and in my estimation, calling her a liar. I was pleased that Senator Kennedy just asked her the simple question, are you a liar? And she obviously answered uh, accurately that, no, she is not a liar. But yeah. this is this is an outstanding woman. There's, uh, if, there is, uh, if, if we extend the virtues of women, there is no more meaningful uh, person that we could cite than Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, I think to see her degraded by the by the left is is absolutely outrageous. And I, I regret that she has to go through this process. And it's certainly not over, Bob. It was uh, one of the, the great moments. They we, May we see your notes? She holds up a blank pad. <laughs> it was, the woman is I, so controlled, and she is so capable and so competent. And the, Quite frankly, I found it kind of a learning experience myself. I didn't realize that constitutional law was that complex. But the, well, especially listening to Senator Kennedy ask the questions that he asked, I found very instructive and interesting. I, I was awed by her immediate uh, ability to cite and, and reference the the, uh, the cases that she is aware of and been involved with, right. and the cases that were being asked of her. Uh, now the the press, the media is of course saying that she evaded and avoided answers, and and she made it clear. And this is a, a, a constant uh, uh, theme of of any of the the nominees to the Supreme Court. They refuse to uh, to respond to questions that pertain to perhaps. Uh, cases that they might hear in the future. But of course, the, the media uh, position that as evading and avoiding rather than uh, the in- inappropriateness of, of the answer itself. Um, so uh, this is, she will, in my estimation, get confirmed. I don't think there's any doubt about it. They will do everything they can, I believe, starting tomorrow to uh, try to delay this process, to push it beyond the point of the election. 
for whatever that may may, may value uh, the value that might give them. Uh, but I believe she she will be confirmed. And certainly. There's, there's no doubt she should be confirmed. Bob. Absolutely. So, Andy, I have so many other things I want to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I have nothing better to do, Bob. <laughs> All right, Andy. I'm going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout out to Lulabee's Diner located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. That's where I always meet Andy for interesting lunches or breakfasts. And I uh, uh, hope you'll patronize them because they're going through this renovation out there at the Green Tree Shopping Center. Almost done. But uh, great breakfast or lunch. Lulabee's Diner at the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation here with Andy Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be back with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So I think all this, so we're talking about uh, the uh, uh, nomination of uh, Amy Coney Bryant, uh, Barrett. I think this is all going to lead to the question about Supreme Court packing. What are your thoughts? Let me make one uh, uh, more thought about the, uh, the confirmation hearings on, on Barrett. It was amazing that Kamala Harris who was just down the hall from the hearing room, uh, chose to not go into the hearing room and to appear on Zoom in, in front of the committee. Right. Uh, also, I mean, I, Barrett had absolutely no notes, nothing in front of her other than a blank piece of paper, obviously. And, and on the other hand, Harris just seemed loaded with this uh, entire uh, uh grouping of, of informations that as a former prosecutor she she needed i just i just thought there was a stark comparison there well let's In let me let me make additional point I, I mean it was clear to me because of her eye movement that she was using a teleprompter um that may be the reason she stayed in her office bob that's exactly right yeah. i mean certainly we can't i don't think we can document that maybe you have you've heard something but no nope. uh, that might explain why she chose not to come into the hearing room right because she's running for vice president so <laughs> she wants to put put a bet the best spin she can on the on the entire thing so the supreme court pack i mean the the left is now referring to this nomination approval of of uh, judge barrett as supreme court packing well, I mean, this is an, another uh, example of Orwellian newspeak. Uh, they're they're trying to uh, uh, minimize the implication of court packing as it will probably unfold in the future if they take uh, complete power over in this country. Uh, and they're trying to make it seem like an insignificant issue by comparing it to a simple nomination and, con and confirmation. Mm -hmm. uh, in my estimation, Bob, it's a very simple model. Uh, if the left needs to pack the court, 
if they have the power to pack the court, they will pack the court. It's yeah. as simple as that. Uh, I don't think there's any real doubt that that particular sequence of, of, of circumstances will, in fact, create a, a court packing situation. Now, for the for your audience or anyone who is not uh, has not considered this issue uh court packing let's say if they move it up to uh, t 13 judges or uh, uh some area some odd uh, number beyond nine uh essentially what it does it will create for the left an end run around the entire constitution mm -hmm. it will to a large extent negate the executive branch and the uh, the legislative branch uh with let's say they have 13 court members the uh, the last four chosen carefully because of their complete commitment to leftist ideology. Uh, they'll be able to select cases that will eventually deliver exactly the America that they want to create. Mm -hmm. So if there is court packing and a complete power takeover by the left, that means they hold the Senate, the House and the presidency. Uh, I think we're going to look at the, the end of the checks and balances uh, that are so critical to the effective functioning of our government, the Supreme Court. Right. will, in fact, be the legislative function, uh, and they will negate any uh, legitimate authority of the executive branch, Bob. You know, uh, we used to have elections based on different ways to deal with the issues in America based on the Constitution. Now we're having a battle between uh, the rule of law and the continuation of the American way of life and the left's takeover of America and making it to a socialist country. I mean, there's there's no doubt. I mean, uh, Senator uh, Whitehouse yesterday referred to the uh, 90 to zero cases that were uh, favored or uh, decided in favor of what he saw as the conservative position. And he he found that to be negative. It, it is not negative when five judges who are committed to the Constitution right. come to the same the same uh, decision uh, that would be expected. Uh, what we see with the left, of course, is uh, is the, uh, the the making up of, of constitutional uh, laws or citing constitutional precedent that have really no applicability uh, to enforce their particular ideology. So again, the the Supreme Court has a has a valuable role as long as they focus not on ideology but on law. Right. But the questions we could see to Barrett yesterday. Uh, dealt almost entirely with her personal views of things, how she felt about things. Right. Uh, and, and certainly that has no role to play in the, uh, the destination of the Supreme Court, other than if you are a chosen leftist nominee and confirmed nominee for the Supreme Court. Uh, that's exactly right. So uh, this, which all leads us to this election coming up, we're three weeks, well, actually two weeks and six days to uh, November 3rd, and uh, that's a big, big election coming up. And, and Biden and Harris, I mean, they continue to just cobble together lies about the, what they intend to do. What are your thoughts? Well, Biden just seems to have no uh, restrictions on himself in terms of uh, fabrications. I, uh, it's hard to imagine his audience that, that listens to his uh, provable distortions and, and somehow does not find this, this totally unacceptable. Um, if we look at this, this continuing barrage of lies, which they, they reinforce time and time again, just to, to cite the, uh, the, the, the issues, uh, where I'm offering the clarification, Trump never called the Wuhan virus a hoax. Right. Trump never called American troops losers and suckers. Right. Uh, Trump never uh, supported the white supremacists at Charlottesville. There was no serious evidence of Russian bounty on U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Trump did not call Mexicans rapists. Uh, there was no Muslim ban. So all of those things I just cited have been consistent talking points uh, from Biden and Harris and the entire uh, political left. All of them are provable lies, and yet they continue to, uh, regardless of how they're, they're corrected or, uh, or, or the, the right tries to clarify these things, these lies are, are, are repeated time and time and time again. And I would almost guarantee that 99% of the people who will vote for Biden actually believe all of these lies. Bob. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting just to watch the behavior of the American public. You know, I, the reason that I started the, the show by mentioning that my, my thought is the reason why Trump 
is elected. He didn't start this movement. He was the result of a movement of people that just got sick and tired of the establishment. So they came up with Dr. Uh, with Donald Trump, and he's providing great leadership for this movement. I think people see right through uh, what's going on. Nobody's showing up for Biden. Nobody's uh, listening to, to him. <laughs> Yesterday, he showed, there were 10 people that showed up. Most of the people there were held uh, Trump signs and, and said four more years. <laughs> so I, quite frankly, I just I don't I can't believe people and and the polls they have to be just part of the mainstream media lie lie machine. Well, we're seeing exactly the same pattern uh, that occurred in 2016, and it was that pattern uh, that the week before the election in 2016 I think enabled me uh, to call the election for for Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, almost exactly on the nose in terms of the electoral college. I'm seeing the same thing right now. Uh, we're seeing absolute uh, absence of enthusiasm for Joe Biden, and still a tremendous, tremendous enthusiasm for uh, for Donald Trump. I understand there was a a thirty thousand car parade for Trump in Miami. I right. I know there was a, a multi thousand car parade in New York in Westchester Putnam uh, for for Donald Trump. Uh, so I think we're looking at a uh, a groundswell of enthusiasm. I I think it may even be more significant than it was in two thousand six. Because now we have a proven leader. Now we we're not we're not betting on the come, so to speak. Now we know exactly the benefit we will derive and the necessity that we will uh, fulfill with the second term of Donald Trump. So I'm going to just finish here with the uh, what we started with is we need to keep our eyes on the prize. The prize is the election on November the third. If you believe, as Andy and I do, that uh, that this election is the most meaningful election, and it's not a, a matter of Democrats or Republicans or Donald Trump or Joe Biden, it's a matter of our way of life or an overthrow of the United States of America, quite frankly. So uh, it's that important, I believe, Andy. Yeah, I, I think our model is fairly simple, Bob. We believe the Constitution should dominate the legal process of America. Uh, we believe that the history of America is ripe with uh, with creating a world and a society and a world in which people can flourish and progress. And I, I think most of what we see in the world today is an end result, a direct end result of, of, of American individualism and the respect for law. And I believe that if it disappears, not only will America suffer, obviously, but I think the entire world will suffer. Absolutely. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Just remind our listeners that your book, Off Topic for Today's discussion but is josephus of oz thank you so much for joining us we'll talk soon Bob. thank you so much andy all right coming up we're going to be visiting with professor larry bell he's endowed professor at the university of houston and author of several books his latest how everything happened including us what a great read we're going to do that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.com. 
www.ohiomedicalschool.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell. Professor Bell is an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books. Uh, my favorite on climate change is Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom. His latest book is uh, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Great read. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always uh, great to be on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. Well, uh, I think this is so appropriate here that with uh, the election coming up in less than three weeks, uh, your claim is that the election will decide domination by covid or resilient recovery, maybe you could tell us about it. Well, I'm not sure this is any breakthrough idea. I think we uh, we see the contrast between uh, Trump, of course, and Biden in terms of uh, you know the optics of, of the whole COVID thing, where you know the Biden basement uh, deal. You know, of course, he's uh, he's very cautious, and you you see him space 40 yards away from uh, Kamala or anyone else when he's speaking. So it's, you know, it, it seems a little excessive in terms of uh, uh, messaging that, uh, you know, that COVID is transmittable over such distances. Uh, and we see, of course, uh, Donald Trump not only contracting COVID, but back on the campaign trail so rapidly and so optimistic. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's very much a, um, a factor of, you know, the public view of continuing to shut down or having a, a replay of a shutdown uh, versus opening up the country and the businesses and the restaurants and, most urgently, the schools, and even more urgently, I think the schools for uh, kindergarten and young children who are just learning to socialize and have friends and form the you know the foundations of social life and society, and uh, and I think it's just uh, it's an apparent contrast, and that's what we're I think uh, voting for. At least it's a big part of what we're voting for in uh, the, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, uh, Professor. You know, I, th I just think about uh, Nancy Pelosi holding off on coming to some sort of uh, an agreement on the stimulus, trying to prolong the issue. Uh, you think about uh, uh, what's happening with Democrats, I just uh, cited earlier in the show, are much more fearful of the coronavirus, and uh, uh, about 20% of men in, in uh, Republicans are concerned about contracting coronavirus, and about 70% of men in uh, Democrat men are concerned about it. So, the, you know, and I think I, I conclude that's because of the media outlets they're watching. You take a look at these uh, conservative uh, or the CNN and, and the like, the uh, liberal media outlets, they're selling the fear. And uh, so is the Democrat Party. That's exactly what, uh, for example, this candidate uh, Biden and Harris are doing. They're selling fear, the, the pandemic of fear, to the American public. And they premise it on the notion that there's, it's kind of the science is settled notion that they, they've done with climate change you know, for so long, you know, the mm -hmm. climate denier thing, and now it'll be the mask denier thing. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, controversy now whether uh, just as Dr. Fauci had said once before that masks are kind of uh, you know a, a joke they, they really don't accomplish anything and you look at the size of the virus and the and versus the masks and the transmission and so on that you wonder how much of that is uh, really based on on any real science and of course science is always discovering new things and and uh, we try to adapt uh, to this politically as I mentioned in the article there's a big pushback on all of this from uh, a lot of very prominent uh, sci you know scientists who mm -hmm. really work in public health and work with virology and they're both researchers and practitioners and, and thousands of them uh, you know, about 5,000 of them at last count 
have said that uh, shutting down the country is very, very destructive and in terms of uh, virtually everything, not only the business and so on, but the effect on delayed medical treatments and where you have excess deaths from that and the impact on young people and depression and even drug use and so on. And uh, as I mentioned in the article, it's they have a what they call the Great Barrington Declaration, which is essentially what, what Sweden has already done. And actually now it's what the even the World Health Organization endorses in terms of uh, shutdowns being worse than the cure. Yeah. And you, you kind of wonder, too, whether herd immunity will protect us from herd mentality. I mean, when are we going to uh, be able to uh, really embrace some sense of normalcy again where people who are most vulnerable, as long as they are, including myself, will have to take special precautions. And we need to let other people, you know, open up the country and open up their lives and uh, you can't help but wonder that much of this, and you mentioned Pelosi, uh, is really political. Yeah. And based upon the kind of fear-mongering that, of course, we who have been looking at the exaggeration of climate issues and misrepresentations that hurricanes are more frequent and so on, extreme weather, well, of course, there's records they're not and forest fires are somehow being caused by global warming rather than by poor forest management but science is manipulated politically and and there are representations of it and uh, I hope that uh, this election is at least partially a referendum on that I certainly hope it is as well you know I I saw uh, someone found commentary in the uh, CDC notes and on the website that uh, there's proof that 85% of the people who've contracted uh, COVID-19 have wore the masks all the time or most of the time. 85%, 13 and 14% uh, uh, wear, wore their masks seldom or never. So, I mean, I think there's pretty proof positive right there that the masks don't really provide any support or help uh, it's perhaps maybe a, a safety blanket or a, a security blanket, but it's, <laughs> you know, we, to your point, I mean, we just need to get on and live our lives. Yeah, I don't have an, an enormous issue with the masks in the sense of, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're still in an early stage of really understanding this virus and whether or not it's morphing into multiple strains and, and so on, you know, there, it, it makes sense to be cautious, and mm-hmm. and we we my family live very cautiously and and prudently, and and uh, and uh, and we of course wear masks in, in public and out in and 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 try to be you know good citizens because it's it's a sense of you know at least signaling you care about other people and. Uh, I buy that, but it's a question also whether we can ad- adapt to new realities and new science. And mm-hmm. you know, are we simply being manipulated? Uh, I think this hold back on the on the, on the uh, support for those who really need it without having you know the uh, relief become another pork barrel issue where we're bailing out. Cities for poor management and funding projects that that have no real basis in in the crisis we're facing. You know, the the kind of rank opportunism that often attends these crises that are too good to waste. And uh, I think this referendum coming up on the the ballot will determine uh, the outcomes of many, many issues, including... You know, what's going to power the light at the end of the tunnel when we come through this? And I don't think it's going to be windmills and sunbeams. Absolutely. You know, we, we, but everything, I think, we've never seen a more stark contrast uh, in 
policies and I think in many regards values than than we see today. Yeah, Professor, that's uh, I mean so important. What you've pointed out is this election will really decide whether we're going to vote for fear or vote for resilient recovery. Uh, again, uh, you can find out more. Visit, visit Newsmax.com to uh, to read uh, Professor Larry Bell's uh, column. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow we're going to visit with Dominique Clemens uh, from the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, as well as the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, get his local commentary. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.